Welcome to the Future of Health, your go-to podcast for discussions about the latest health trends and scientific findings shaping our world. I'm your host, and today we have some thought-provoking new guidelines to discuss from the World Health Organization or WHO about non-sugar sweeteners or NSS. Let's delve right in. The WHO recently came out against the use of non-sugar sweeteners as a method to control body weight or reduce the risk of non-communicable diseases, also known as NCDs. This guideline is based on a systematic review of the available evidence which suggests that the use of NSAIDs does not confer any long-term benefit in reducing body fat in adults or children. In fact, the review suggests there might be potential negative effects from long-term use of these sweeteners. These could include an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, and mortality in adults. The guideline statement, shared by Francisco Branca, WHO Director for Nutrition and Food Safety, might change the way we view our diet. He says, Replacing free sugars with NSAIDs does not help with weight control in the long term. People should reduce the sweetness of the diet altogether, starting early in life, to improve their health. Common NSAIDs we are talking about here include acesulfane K, aspartame, advantame, cyclamates, neotame, sacarin, sucralose, stevia, and stevia derivatives. However, it's important to note that this recommendation does not apply to personal care and hygiene products containing NSAIDs, such as toothpaste, skin cream, and medications, or to low-calorie sugars and sugar alcohols, which are not classified as non-nutritive sweeteners. Because the link observed between NSAIDs and disease outcomes might be confounded by certain baseline characteristics of study participants and complicated patterns of NSAIDs use, the recommendation has been assessed as conditional, according to WHO processes. This implies that policy decisions based on this recommendation may require substantial discussion in specific country contexts. The WHO guideline on NSS is part of a broader initiative to establish lifelong healthy eating habits, improve dietary quality, and decrease the risk of NCDs globally. So what does this mean for us? Perhaps it's time to reconsider our reliance on non-sugar sweeteners and look towards naturally occurring sugars, like those found in fruits, and unsweetened food and beverages for our dietary needs. We will certainly be keeping a close eye on further developments and discussions around this recommendation and the impacts it could have on our health and diets. Let's take a moment to understand why these new guidelines from WHO about non-sugar sweeteners are so important. Before that, let's take a short break. Hey there, listeners. If you're enjoying this episode of the Future of Health podcast, I've got a treat for you. Take a deep dive into www.arunamaradan.com. It's a treasure trove of insightful articles on the latest trends in healthcare. Our host, Aruna Marajan, the brain behind the site, is an independent journalist based in Mumbai, India. She's got her finger on the pulse of everything happening in healthcare right now, and her perspective is as refreshing as it is informative. Remember, this is an ad-free podcast, and that's how we love to keep it for you to enjoy uninterrupted conversations and explorations into the world of healthcare. 
Supporting the podcast is simple. Visit the website, read, engage, and share the content. Every click, every share makes a huge difference. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to www.arunamirajan.com, deepen your knowledge, and support the podcast. Let's keep the conversation going. Welcome back to the podcast. Overweight and obesity rates are on the rise globally. In 2016, more than 1.9 billion adults were overweight, with over 600 million being obese. By 2020, over 38 million children under the age of 5 were overweight. High body mass index, or BMI, was responsible for an estimated 4 million deaths in 2017, with further increases in BMI leading to an even greater risk of mortality. It's important to note that obesity is a risk factor for many non-communicable diseases, including cardiovascular diseases, type 2 diabetes, and certain types of cancer. Not only that, but obesity and certain NCDs can increase the likelihood of becoming severely ill from COVID-19 infection. Free sugars are linked with poor dietary quality, obesity, and risk of NCDs. The WHO has previously issued guidance on limiting free sugars intake to reduce the risk of unhealthy weight gain and dental caries. Since the release of these guidelines, the popularity of non-sugar sweeteners as an alternative to free sugars has increased. Also referred to as high-intensity sweeteners, low or no-calorie sweeteners, non-nutritive sweeteners, or sugar substitutes, NSs have been developed to replace free sugars. They're often used as an additive in prepackaged foods, beverages, and personal care products, or added directly by consumers to foods and drinks. Because they provide a sweet taste without the calories, they're marketed as aiding weight loss or helping maintain a healthy weight. NSS are also frequently recommended as a means of controlling blood glucose levels in individuals with diabetes. The NSS group includes a variety of synthetically derived chemicals and natural extracts that may or may not be chemically modified. Despite their widespread use and results of some randomized controlled trials suggesting that NSS may have limited impact on glucose metabolism and could result in lower body weight in the short term, there is no clear consensus on their long-term effects. The new WHO guidelines are a reminder that we should be mindful of our NSS intake, especially given their potential long-term health implications. As always, a balanced and nutritious diet is key to maintaining good health. Let's dig a bit deeper into this whole non-sugar sweeteners or NSS business. You know, each type of these sweeteners gets a once-over by organizations like the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization and the World Health Organization. They determine how much we can safely have each day. Even though some trials have shown that NSS might help keep our blood sugar steady and help us lose a bit of weight in the short term, there is no clear-cut answer on whether they really work for long-term weight loss or if they have any other long-term health effects. And you know what? Not all NSS are created equal. They're like snowflakes, each one is unique. They might all hit the same sweet spot on our tongues, but their chemical structures are different which could affect how our bodies handle them. Now, if we take a look around the world, 
It's hard to get a clear picture of how much NSS people are using. This is because NSS are still kind of new to some places and we don't have a ton of data on how much people in different countries are consuming. But what we do know is that there are plenty of foods and drinks out there with NSS in them and people are using them. Here is an interesting trend though. As more people are using NSS, especially in their drinks, fewer people are drinking sugary beverages. We have seen this happening in places like the United States and Norway. And it looks like this shift from regular sugar to NSS might be happening in other countries too, especially as everyone's trying to cut back on their sugar intake. But with these new guidelines from the WHO, we might need to think twice about this shift. Should we be replacing our sugar with NSS? It's a question that's up for debate and we will need to keep an eye on this space as more research comes out. All right folks, we have some more pieces of the puzzle to fit in here. Let's start with a bit of history. The World Health Organization or WHO has been trying to set some guidelines for our diet to prevent obesity and diet related diseases for quite some time. They started this back in 1989 and updated it in 2002. In 2015, they turned their focus to free sugars and how much we should be consuming. And guess what? After they dropped their guidelines, people started wondering if NSS could be a solution to help us cut back on those free sugars. And at the same time, more and more NSS were hitting the shelves. So, the WHO decided it was high time to take a systematic look at NSS and set some guidelines. And that's what we are talking about today. But remember, These guidelines on NSS are just one piece of a bigger puzzle. They are part of the who's ongoing effort to give us some direction on how to eat healthier and prevent obesity and diet-related diseases. This new guideline is meant to complement their other advice, especially the one on sugars. But there's an important thing to note. These guidelines aren't about whether NSS are safe or not. that parts been taken care of by other expert bodies who make sure each nss is safe to consume before it hits the market what we are talking about here is whether or not nss can help us prevent weight gain and other diet related diseases and just to be clear this guideline doesn't provide advice on managing diabetes for those who already have it that's another topic for another day today We are focused on the general population of children and adults including pregnant women. Well, folks, we are learning quite a bit today. Remember, keep your eyes and ears open, ask questions and make informed decisions. So why does all of this matter? You might ask. Well, the who's new guideline on non-sugar sweeteners has a very clear mission. It's meant to offer guidance that's backed up by scientific evidence on the use of NSS so that decision makers and health program managers can use this knowledge to bring about real change in the eating habits of their communities. The who's advice on NSS is a key part of their battle against non-communicable diseases, aiming to help 1 billion more people enjoy better health and well-being. This is part of whose ambitious triple billion target set in their 5-year plan that ran from 2019 to 2023. But that's not all. These recommendations also back up various other major initiatives. 
They support United Nations declarations on the prevention and control of non-communicable diseases from their high-level meetings. They tie into the WHO's Global Action Plan for the Prevention and Control of Non-Communicable Diseases, which runs until 2030. Then there are the Rome Declaration on Nutrition and its Framework for Action, which aim to promote safe and healthy diets at all stages of life. These guidelines further support that initiative. They even feed into the UN's Decade of Action on Nutrition, a 10-year plan that was announced in 2016. And of course, we can't forget the big one, the 2030 Agenda on Sustainable Development and its Sustainable Development Goals, particularly Goal 2, which is to end hunger, and Goal 3, which is to ensure good health and well-being for all. So, you see, this guideline on NSS isn't just about non-sugar sweeteners. It's a part of a much larger, global effort to improve health and nutrition. A goal we can all get behind. Now, this WHO guideline isn't just for scientists, nutritionists, or healthcare professionals. It's intended for a broad spectrum of people who are all, in their own way, making a difference in public health. If you're a policymaker at any level, this guideline is for you. Whether you're working on the national stage or making a difference in your local community, this information is a valuable tool. The same goes for those who are managing and implementing programs related to nutrition and non-communicable disease prevention. This includes non-governmental organizations, professional societies, and other groups who are on the front lines of these initiatives. Health professionals, too, will find this guideline informative. And it's not just for doctors and nurses, but for anyone working in a healthcare setting. It's also a great resource for researchers, scientists, and educators teaching about nutrition and disease prevention. And we can't forget about the food industry and its related associations. This guideline has important implications for the people who are creating and marketing our food. They have a key role to play in promoting healthier choices and implementing these guidelines. So, as you can see, it's not just about the scientists or the health professionals. It's a collective effort. We all have a part to play in promoting healthier diets and preventing non-communicable diseases. Creating guidelines, like the one we have been discussing today, is no small task. It requires the collaborative effort of many experts in various fields, an intensive review of the existing research, and a thorough development process. The WHO takes a very systematic approach to ensure that their guidelines are informed by the best available evidence. The development of the WHO guideline on NSS use began in 2016, and it was shaped over several meetings of the Nutrition Guidance Expert Advisory Group, or NUGAC, subgroup on diet and health. This process was guided by a WHO steering group comprised of technical staff with varied perspectives and a keen interest in the provision of scientific advice on healthy diets. The guideline was developed by multiple contributors from the WHO Department of Nutrition and Food Safety, and additional feedback was received from interested stakeholders during public consultations. Various teams contributed to the development of this guideline, including the Nugak subgroup on diet and health, an external peer review group, and several systematic review teams. They carried out systematic reviews, identified relevant studies, 
assessed the evidence and consulted with the WHO secretariat to ensure that the reviews met the needs of the WHO guideline development process. Two public consultations were also held during the development of this guideline, inviting stakeholders and interested parties to provide feedback on overall clarity, any potentially missing information, setting specific or contextual issues, implications for implementation, and gaps in evidence. A major part of the guideline development process is managing conflicts of interest. All the interests of the contributors were carefully reviewed by the WHO Secretariat, in consultation with the WHO Department of Compliance and Risk Management and Ethics. This process helped to ensure the guidelines' integrity and trustworthiness. The systematic reviews that shaped this guideline focused on some key questions. What are the effects on health outcomes of higher intake of NSS compared with lower intake? And, what are the effects on health outcomes of replacing free sugars with NSS? These are the questions that guided the research and informed the recommendations. Once the evidence was gathered and reviewed, the Nugak subgroup on diet and health used the GRADE methodology to assess the certainty of the evidence. Then, based on the evidence and additional factors, the Nugak subgroup formulated the recommendation and associated remarks by consensus. All right, let's dig in deeper. So, this review wasn't picky. It checked out a broad range of studies, everything from randomized controlled trials or RCTs for short, to prospective cohort studies and case control studies. Now, they were careful to only include studies where people were having these non-sugar sweeteners within what's known as the acceptable daily intake, basically the amount it's safe to have in a day. They also left out folks who already have diabetes, I guess that's a whole different ballgame. Moving on to the RCTs, these are like the cream of the crop when it comes to health research. This review took a look at 50 of these, 45 with adults, 4 with kids, and even one that was a mix of adults and kids. Interestingly though, they couldn't find any that included pregnant women. These trials span the globe, from the US to the UK, France to Denmark, Australia and even places like Mexico, Thailand, and South Korea. Quite a global affair, isn't it? They tested out a bunch of different sweeteners, from aspartame and stevia to saccharin and sucralose, mostly in the form of beverages. But they weren't just looking at what happens when you drink these sweeteners. They tried out different things in these trials. In some, they gave folks dietary advice, like swap your sugary drink for a diet one. Others added supplements with sugars or non-sugar sweeteners to what people were already eating. In some, they even asked people who usually use these sweeteners to stop altogether. And in some, they gave non-sugar sweeteners in a capsule to compare with a place bow. So you see, there's a lot going on here. It's not just about are these sweeteners good or bad? There are all kinds of questions being asked, all sorts of things being tested. But don't worry, we will keep breaking it down, one sweet piece at a time. So, stay tuned, folks. Now, we know that the science around these sweeteners can be a bit tricky to navigate, so we have been doing some serious digging to make sense of it all. We have got the results of a systematic review which is a deep dive into all the research that's been done, 
and we are going to break it down into everyday language for you. First things first, let's talk about what these reviews do. They look at a bunch of different studies and then they analyze them all together. In this case, the review was looking at a bunch of different trials where NSS were used in place of regular sugar. One of the issues we noticed though is that the way NSS were used in these trials varied a lot. For example, sometimes they were added on top of people's regular diets, which might not really reflect how people use them in real life. We usually replace sugar with these sweeteners, right? There were some trials that did this, but the results were a bit mixed. Surprisingly, some trials found that plain old water was as effective, or even more effective, than NSS drinks when it came to weight loss. Kind of makes you think, doesn't it? The review also looked at how NSS might work to reduce weight. It seems that when people swapped sugar for NSS and consumed fewer calories, as a result, they did lose some weight. But the important point here is that this was more about the reduction in calories than anything special about the NSS themselves. Now, most of these trials were short-term, three months or less. The few that went on for longer gave mixed results. This makes it hard to say for sure that using NSS will help you maintain weight loss over the long haul. Here is something else to consider. In these trials, everything was carefully controlled and participants often knew they were consuming NSS. But in the real world, the way we use these sweeteners can be pretty complicated. Some of us might use them alongside regular sugars or consume them thinking they're healthier, while others might eat something sweetened with NSS so they can have an extra slice of pizza later. This might mean the results from these trials don't apply perfectly to our everyday lives. There is also a chance that some of the results from these studies might be influenced by what we call reverse causation. This is when people who are already at risk of certain diseases start using NSS to try and improve their health rather than NSS themselves causing these health issues. Lastly, it's important to remember that not all NSS are created equal. Different sweeteners have different chemical structures and could have different effects on the body. Also, factors like sex, ethnicity, and body weight could change how we respond to these sweeteners. So, what's the takeaway? It seems like the story of NSS is a bit more complex than we might have thought. They might help with weight loss in the short term, especially if they help you reduce your calorie intake, but the long term is still a question mark. As for their health effects, we need more research to figure out the full picture. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the guidelines that the Nutrition Guidance Expert Advisory Group, or the NUGAC, has been working on. They've got a complicated task ahead of them, trying to translate scientific evidence into recommendations. They consider all sorts of factors, from how certain the evidence is, to the pros and cons of the recommendation, to what it could mean for human rights and equity. It's all about figuring out what's going to be best for the health of people everywhere. Here is something interesting the guideline we are discussing is actually recommending not to include non-sugar sweeteners or NSS in your diet. Instead of being a specific rule, it's more of a goal for your diet. Now, you might be wondering, 
How can this be turned into policies or actions? There are loads of ways, from changing our behaviors and habits, to introducing taxes, limiting advertising, changing the labels on food and drink products, and even changing the way products are made. It's important to remember that each of these actions has its own background of evidence and needs its own set of considerations. We're not going to get into the nitty-gritty details of all of these different possibilities right now, but keep an eye out for future WHO guidelines that'll give more guidance on these topics. To create these guidelines, the Nogaga experts didn't just pull information out of thin air. They poured over countless scientific databases and picked out the highest quality studies they could find. Unfortunately, the evidence they found wasn't all sunshine and rainbows. The overall certainty in the evidence was considered low, and there were even some undesirable effects linked to the use of NSS. Now, there might be some short-term benefits to using NSS, like potentially losing a bit of weight. But here is the kicker, the long-term effects could offset these benefits. Some studies have shown an increased risk of death and disease in the long run. There is also some evidence that NSS could be good for preventing cavities, but only when you compare it to eating regular sugar. So, it's not that NSS is good for your teeth, it's just that sugar is worse. When weighing up the good and bad sides of NSS, the Nugag experts concluded that the downsides carry more weight. Plus, the evidence suggests that pregnant women might experience the adverse effects of NSS pretty quickly. There is another important point to consider. NSS are often found in highly processed foods, and they don't have any nutritional value themselves. So if you are trying to cut down on sugar by using NSS, you might end up eating more processed foods. Here is something else to chew on. If people stop using NSS and start eating more sugar to keep their food and drinks sweet, that could also have negative health effects. But, since most people know that too much sugar is bad for them, the experts think that this won't happen too often. After all this, the Nugak subgroup on diet and health concluded that it's better not to use NSS. That's the main takeaway here. So the next time you're reaching for a diet soda or a sugar-free snack, you might want to think twice. Now, while we mostly talk about non-sugar sweeteners or NSS, in terms of how they might affect obesity and being overweight, it turns out these sweeteners might also impact other health outcomes like type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, and even mortality. And some of these effects might come about through changes in body weight. Obesity is a growing concern worldwide, affecting the health and lives of hundreds of millions of people. So, it makes sense that strategies to reduce these risks are a top priority. But the level of attention given to this issue can vary from one place to another. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought a sharper focus to obesity, as we have come to understand that individuals with obesity or certain chronic diseases might face higher risks with COVID-19. The guideline we are discussing values reducing the risk of death, overweight, obesity, and chronic diseases highly. But, the importance individuals assign to reducing these risks can vary depending on personal beliefs, preferences, and cultural norms. 
For example, while cardiovascular diseases are a major health concern worldwide, people's perception of their risk can vary widely. Similarly, while people are generally aware that being overweight or obese can be bad for health, some cultures still see being overweight as a positive thing. Others believe that body weight is inherited and not something you can change through lifestyle modifications. There is also a lot of misunderstanding about body weight, with many people thinking they're at a healthy weight when they're actually overweight or obese according to recognized standards. Now, this guideline could be put into practice in a lot of different ways. This could be through behavior change interventions, tax policies, food and drink marketing regulations, food labeling schemes, and changes to how products are made. Whether these measures are feasible depends on the country in question. But overall, the guideline aligns well with current efforts to reduce the intake of free sugars. Despite this, implementing the recommendation to avoid NSS could be challenging. NSS are widely available and used by a large proportion of the global population. So, getting people to change their behavior and reduce their consumption will likely be a challenge, especially in places without robust public health measures in place. On a personal level, reducing NSS use will largely depend on individuals' willingness to reduce the overall sweetness in their diets. This could be particularly challenging for those who are accustomed to sweet foods and drinks. Also, because foods and drinks containing NSS often don't clearly label this, avoiding NSS might require consumers to be more vigilant. The level of acceptance of this recommendation will likely vary from place to place and person to person. Acceptance could be influenced by a range of factors including how the recommendation is turned into policies and actions, awareness of the potential health issues linked to NSS, the potential economic impact, and how well the recommendation fits with existing policies. The individual's acceptance of the recommendation could be low, especially for those who are used to sweet foods and drinks. But for those who acknowledge the potential long-term health risks of consuming NSS and value reducing this risk, acceptance should be high. The key here is effective public health messaging. This should not only focus on reducing NSS and free sugar intake but also promote an overall healthy diet. For instance, one useful message could be that whole fruits can provide a healthy source of sweetness in the diet, along with beneficial nutrients. Equity and human rights play a significant role in this guideline. While it's not entirely clear how the recommendation will impact equity and human rights due to the uncertainty surrounding long-term effects of NSS use, there is a potential to reduce health inequities. Overweight, obesity, and non-communicable diseases tend to disproportionately affect individuals of lower socioeconomic status. By improving the long-term health of these individuals, the recommendation could help address health disparities. However, in certain low- and middle-income countries, people of higher socioeconomic status may be at higher risk and could benefit more from relevant interventions. The impact on equity and human rights will depend on how the recommendation is implemented, such as through fiscal policies, food labeling, and marketing restrictions. It's important to note that the evidence in this area is limited and inconclusive. Now, let's talk about the resource implications of implementing this recommendation. 
The costs will vary depending on the approach taken. However, costs can be minimized by integrating the recommendation into existing efforts to reduce free sugar intake and promote healthy diets. For example, incorporating NSS recommendations into food-based dietary guidelines and fiscal policies targeting sugar-sweetened beverages can help reduce the resources required for implementation. Public education and communication campaigns will also be necessary and can be integrated into existing nutrition programs at various levels. Although the cost-effectiveness of implementing the recommendation is not definitively known, assuming that long-term associations between NSS use and increased risk of unhealthy weight gain and non-communicable diseases are valid, it could lead to long-term cost savings in healthcare. Studies on taxation of sugar-sweetened beverages, which is related to NSS use, have shown potential for substantial cost savings and improved health outcomes related to obesity and diet-related diseases. Now, let's consider the individual impact of adhering to the recommendation. Not using NSS could potentially lead to a decrease in both the purchase of NSS and foods and beverages containing NSS. For those already consuming foods and drinks with no caloric value, it would be a matter of foregoing those purchases. However, it's important to note that reducing NSS use might have a greater impact on disposable income, particularly for individuals of lower socio-economic status who already spend a higher proportion of their income on food and beverages. Before we wrap up, it's essential to understand the strength of the WHO recommendation. This recommendation is a conditional recommendation, meaning that the WHO guideline development group is less certain about the desirable consequences outweighing the undesirable consequences or when the anticipated net benefits are very small. The decision to make it a conditional recommendation was based on the lack of evidence for long-term benefits of NSS use on measures of body fatness and the potential long-term undesirable effects observed in adults. Now. Let's dive into some important remarks and clarifications related to the recommendation. Firstly, it's important to note that this recommendation is relevant for everyone, regardless of age, including pregnant and lactating women. The objective of this guideline is to provide guidance on using NSS to prevent unhealthy weight gain and diet-related non-communicable diseases NCDs, while reducing free sugar intake. However, Individuals with pre-existing diabetes were not included in the evidence review, as managing diabetes requires different considerations. So, this recommendation does not apply to individuals with existing diabetes. Let's talk about the definition of NSS. In this guideline, NSS includes synthetic and naturally occurring or modified non-nutritive sweeteners that are not classified as sugars. Some common NSS you might have heard of are acesulfame K, aspartame, cyclamates, saccharin, stevia, and sucralose. It's important to mention that low-calorie sugars and sugar alcohols polyols, are not considered NSS, so this recommendation does not apply to them. When we talk about use of NSS, we mean consuming foods or beverages that contain NSS or adding NSS to your food or drinks. It's worth noting that many medications and personal care products might contain small amounts of NSS for palatability, but the recommendation in this guideline does not apply to those products. 
Now, let's touch on the acceptable daily intakes. Are this set by the Joint FAO-WHO Expert Committee on Food Additives, JECFA. The evidence supporting this recommendation comes from studies where NSS were consumed within the ADI set by JECFA. So, the evidence is based on safe levels of NSS consumption. It's important to mention that although individual NSS have different chemical structures and properties, the recommendation is made based on evidence suggesting that NSS as a class of compounds may have an impact on health. While some individual NSS might have specific physiological effects, the current evidence is insufficient to make recommendations for each individual NSS. Lastly, it's crucial to understand that reducing free sugar intake should be implemented in the context of achieving and maintaining a healthy diet. Simply replacing free sugars with NSS does not necessarily improve the overall quality of the diet. Instead, it's preferable to replace free sugars with naturally sweet sources like fruits and minimally processed unsweetened foods and beverages to improve the overall dietary quality. Now, let's explore the research gaps and future initiatives identified by the experts. Based on the results of the systematic reviews and discussions with the Nugak subgroup on diet and health, several important questions and gaps in the current evidence were identified. These areas should be addressed by future research to depend our understanding of non-sugar sweeteners. Here are some key areas. Firstly, further research is needed to better understand the potential long-term effects of non-sugar sweetener use on relevant outcomes in different populations. This includes children, pregnant and lactating women, and exposures to non-sugar sweeteners beyond beverages. To achieve this, studies should focus on improving exposure assessment, evaluating different sources and types of non-sugar sweeteners consumed, and developing objective biomarkers for more accurate assessments. It's also important to consider patterns of non-sugar sweetener use prior to baseline assessments and to include diverse settings, including low- and middle-income countries. Another important area of research is investigating the effects of non-sugar sweetener intake on oral health, including dental caries, across all age groups. We also need to explore the potential effects of non-sugar sweeteners on gastrointestinal health. Understanding the differential health effects of individual non-sugar sweeteners is another important research gap. This can be done through randomized controlled trials and prospective cohort studies, where feasible. We should also explore potential differences in short-term and long-term responses to non-sugar sweeteners based on factors such as sex, age, ethnicity, genotype, body weight status, and risk for relevant non-communicable diseases. Sensitive methods to detect short-term changes, particularly in assessing insulin resistance, should be developed. Additionally, we need to investigate how patterns and history of non-sugar sweetener use may affect relevant outcomes, such as glucose metabolism. Research on the health effects of consuming mixtures of non-sugar sweeteners and their interactions with other nutrients and components of foods is also necessary. Understanding the biological mechanisms behind the physiological effects of non-sugar sweeteners in humans is an important area for further investigation. We should also explore how early exposure to non-sugar sweeteners, including inutero exposure, 
might affect sweet preference and other responses to sweetness later in life. Real-world consumption patterns of non-sugar sweeteners and their impact on sugar intake and dietary quality should be studied. It's also important to examine potential differences in non-sugar sweetener use based on age, sex, ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. Lastly, effective interventions to reduce reliance on high levels of sweetness in the diet should be explored. Now, let's talk about updating the guideline. The World Health Organization regularly updates its guidelines to reflect the latest scientific knowledge. As the evidence base for non-sugar sweeteners is rapidly evolving, this guideline will be regularly monitored and updated. The WHO Department of Nutrition and Food Safety, along with other partners within the WHO Secretariat, will coordinate the updating process following the formal procedure described in the WHO Handbook for Guideline Development. And that wraps up today's episode on the research gaps and future initiatives related to non-sugar sweeteners. Stay tuned for future updates on this topic as more research emerges. Remember, science is always evolving, and WHO is committed to providing the most up-to-date recommendations for promoting healthy diets and preventing non-communicable diseases. Thanks for joining us, and stay healthy!